You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. You are a masterpiece in progress. A couple of you are looking at me like Pastor Chris is a masterpiece in progress because he's wearing a jacket. A friend of mine I met with this week, another pastor at another church, and uh, someone told him, you need to wear a jacket. And he said, so this Sunday he's going to wear a jacket. So I said, I will join with you. And so you'll at least know one, one other pastor in Texas is wearing a jacket. All right. So that's why I'm doing it. The world's not coming to an end. All right. You are a masterpiece, though. And so what I want you to understand and be reminded of as we continue our series in Ephesians is that before the beginning of time, God saw you and had a plan for your life, and it was to call you out, and he saw the masterpiece that you will be. And so what we've been talking about over these last few weeks, we'll talk about it even more today, is that God has a plan for you, specific to you, and it is that... In the midst of where we are right now, we may feel like a mess and we're not put together and it's not all together. And that is true. That's a part of life. But he, before time, saw you and as the master artist called you out and he's begun to do the work on the tapestry of your life. And he sees the finished project and the finished product, even though we do not. And the beauty of it is, is that because he can see the future, he wants us to figure out what does it mean to live as if we are the masterpiece in the future today. And so this morning, we're going to dig a little bit more into that. And so uh, if you don't remember, Ephesians is a book about Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, which was a port city of about a quarter of a million people, which was a big city today, but even more so back then, a lot of wealth. And one of the main places of worship was the temple of Diana or the temple of Artemis, and it was a fertility cult, a sex cult. And so you can imagine what worship was like in that place. And so here Paul is talking to two different types of people. He's talking to Jewish people that are very religious. They've grown up Jewish. They know what it means to be Jewish. They think that they're close to God. And then he's talking to the Gentiles that have come out of a cult like this. And so where their worship demeaned them, where their view of God demeaned them, it's a radical different way. And so they've come out of that to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you can imagine the radicalness of that change. And so Paul's talking consistently about you used to be this way, but now you're here. And so today in Ephesians chapter two, verses 11 through 12, he talks about unity. What does it mean for us Jews and Gentiles, our past and our present to now be unified in Christ? And so I thought of, hey, I'm going to come up with a really cool phrase that I can give you that you'll remember. And so, you know, back in the day when I was in athletics, the coach would say, hey, there's no I in team. And I was like, well, that's not really it. And so I was like, unity, there's no I in unity. But there is. So there's unity, but there's no I in it. We'll just just remember that. okay? there's no I in unity, even though there is. That's our cool phrase for the week. All right. And so here, Paul is talking about what does it look like for us to be unified in Christ and how we have a tendency to find the things that divide us 
and the things that make us different. And Paul wants us to find the one thing, the one person that can unify us. As Amy prayed, that we as a nation, that we as a people, that we as a county, that we as a city, that we as a church, the only thing, the only person that we can be unified with and about that will not change is the person and work of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll go from 11 to 22. It says this, So don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. So all of us at some way, some point have been outsiders. And so here Paul is reminding them, reminding his audiences, Gentiles in particular, that once you were outside and the Jews would consistently remind you that you were outside of the covenant of promise. And so you were, you were outside of what, what, what was the norm of the day for being religious. And so now you're outsiders and now we're bringing you in. And so you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. So they were reminding you that you were outsiders who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. And so interestingly enough, when the Jews were called out and called to be the chosen people, one of the reasons that they were called, one of the main reasons that they were called and set apart is so that people could see who God was and his mercy and his grace upon the Jewish people. And so that outsiders would be drawn to him. But what the Jewish people had a tendency to do was to say, hey, look who we are and therefore put people down. When all throughout, you look through the Old Testament, people were constantly saying, hey, we've heard about your God. We've heard of the work that he's done. We've heard of the things that he's done. We've heard of his grace, his mercy, his power. And they were drawn to him. But so many times the Jewish people in their humanity and in their religiousness would point out, you're different from us. You're not like us. Therefore, you're not worthy of the God that we worship. Things that move us away from unity. Verse 12. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises of God had made to them. And so again, here Paul is constantly talking about location, right? He's kind of using this location language. And so he's reminding the Gentiles, you once used to live apart from him. And he continues to remind you were excluded from citizenship in Israel, and you didn't know the covenant promises. So he's moving them further and further away from the hope. And he even finishes up this little part. He says, you lived in a world where... Without God and without hope, you were outsiders. And because you were outsiders and because of you were living apart from Christ, you weren't a part of the citizens because you didn't have the covenant. He's showing them their location before they knew Christ. They were located outside of it. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now what's interesting is this, is this is a proximity thing. And so the Gentiles who were told and reminded and and all that, that they were far away from God. Their location was far away. And then here Paul is also talking about, you know, the Jews thought that, that they were close to God, that their proximity, that they weren't outsiders. And so they were there. But in reality... The only way to get into a relationship with God, the full relationship with God, was through Christ. And so it didn't matter how close they felt. What mattered is is who Jesus is and what his job and what his work did for them. So whether they were Jew or Gentile, their proximity to. So if you're a Gentile and you're way over here and God's there, it didn't matter because the Jews were here, but they still didn't know God. And so Paul is saying, listen, yes, your walk may have felt 
further than maybe what the Jews are, but your location ending up is still the same, and it is not your power or your strength that's totally in the power and strength and work of Christ. And so he's helping them see that they are unified in their salvation, that yes, they may have been further away, but the work of God is what brought them, and that's what unifies them together. For once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united the Jews and the Gentiles into what? Into one people, literally one body. When his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. And again, here Paul is using a very vivid visual to this audience in that day because whenever the jews and the gentiles went to worship at the temple there was a court there were courts and places of worship proximity to the holy of holies where god resided okay and so if you were a jew a male jew let's say you were a male jew you got to get closer to the holy of holies you got to be right there where the where god resided where the priests once a year would go in and offer sacrifices on behalf of the whole, of the entire people if you're a jewish woman you weren't, didn't get to get as close as the Jewish men, all right? If you were a Gentile God-fearer, you were even further back. And so there were walls separating worship. And so here Paul is reminding them that whenever they even go to church, whenever they go to synagogue, whenever they go to temple, that they're separated by man-made separating walls. But now through Christ, all of those walls have been removed and everyone... Male, female, Greek, Jew, Gentile, everyone has access to the Holy of Holies through Christ. He broke down the walls that used to be there that were man-made, but now in Christ we are unified. And everyone has access to the Holy of Holies through the work and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The cross dismantles the wall. And how did he do this? By ending the system of laws with its commandments and its regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Now again, in our humanness, we do a wonderful job of finding ways and reasons to separate ourselves. And in reality, what we're trying to do is we're trying to find something about ourselves that we think is unique so that we can raise ourselves up and then point out to other people that you're not like me. So therefore, your worth and value is not as much as mine because you're not like me. And so we put people down. And that's our human humanness. And that's what the Jews were doing is, listen, God called us out. We're different from you. And so therefore, because you're not a Jew, because you haven't been circumcised, you are different from us and we put you down. And that's our human history is that we are a diverse peoples. God has created diversity, which should be beautiful. But we have a tendency to make our worth and value upon the uniqueness and push people down because of it. And so there's been a lack of peace, even within the church world. That is true. Even this past few weeks in the church world, um, there's, a, there's a revival happening in, in the East Coast. And it started at a college campus, Asbury University, which is a Methodist campus. And if you know anything about revivals, I'll just share a little bit. There's been several different revivals in American history over the, over the generations since the beginning of our, of our nation. But in the last hundred years, there's been a few. And, and one was in the 70s, which we now, you know, we call the Jesus Revolution or the Jesus Freaks or whatever you want to call it. And so in the 70s, they, they, they kind of threw off organized religion and said, hey, we want to be fully about Jesus. And so there was this revival that happened. And what happens 
in revival, as we look back in history, is several things. One is that there's a testimony. People begin to share their testimonies, and people begin to confess sin and repent of sin. And through testimonies, that happens, and just stuff, like miracles happen. It looks New Testament, okay? Literally, people are healed. Different things go on. And so even in a Methodist school or Baptist school, God does what he wants to do when he wants to do it when revival breaks out, right? And so in the 70s, that happened. And then in 1995, at um, Howard Payne University in the spring of 1995, when I was there, revival broke out as well. And so Henry Blackaby was there. He's a guy who wrote a book called Experiencing God. And and so actually some of my friends like went to the front and began to just share their story of how they were overwhelmed by the sin in their life and and, and what was going on. And so in the midst of that, God just moved. And I, I remember where I was standing in the auditorium as part of worship and just seeing God do what he was doing. I was pastoring a small church at the time and watching the movement of God over days and weeks. And then one of the interesting things about the the 70s and, and then particularly the one in 95 was that my friends would go to other schools and to other places and share their story about what God had done in them. And in the midst of that, everywhere that they went, revival broke out, like the similar type things. People began to confess sins, and there was this this movement. So this movement of God, literally like a wave, moved over. And even some of my friends were on Jerry Springer and Maury Povich. Okay, and and the reason was because of this. There was the the revival that had come from from Howard Payne, but then there was a revival that had come from from Canada that was called the Laughing Revival. And so there was a church where you would just walk in, and you would start laughing, and so that that was what happened in church. And so there was this literally there was a debate on national TV between you know with Maury Povich and Jerry Springer, which is a great place to have spiritual debates. <laughs> Who's my baby dad? I don't know. And so so this is happening, and so the audience. When the people from Howard Payne began to share their story, people began to weep and confess and testimony and confessions and salvations. And so even the audience is like this, this laughing thing. That's interesting, but the spirit of God is moving out of this thing in here. And so you could just see it and even Asbury and different places. And it just, it literally spread all over the world. And, and, and so you think about, it, I mean, you're, you're going to get to know my age a little bit, but so my parents in the seventies and then I, my college experience. And now my child's college experience, there's a movement of God happening. And so what's interesting in, in the world that I live in as a, as a vocational Christian is is that the vocational Christian world, pastors and churches and stuff, is divided too, because we're human. And so it's interesting to see how, like, there's a debate on whether this is a revival or not at Asbury. And so there's preachers that are saying all these different things, and like even one guy basically said, like, it's, I mean, like, if it's not a revival because I wasn't there preaching it. And I was like, it's probably a revival because you weren't there preaching it. And so there's this move like vocational Christians are removed many times, if not all the time of revival, because because God, if you look, even look at the Old Testament and New Testament, even with Jesus, Jesus, whenever he came, he was talking the ones that he was usually his enemies and he was against were the vocational Christians or the vocational religious people. That they were like, God, you can't move like this. You can't heal like this. You can't do like this. And Jesus is like, just watch. 
And so it's interesting to see even today that we're a divided culture and we're so divided as a nation that it's so infiltrated even churches that we've got men and women that are fighting over what does it look like for the Spirit of God to move. And I'm like, that, that is sad. That if we can't see the Spirit of God moving and people coming to Christ and we're arguing over that, then we have get back to Jesus. And so here, this is what Paul is talking about. Jesus came to end those systems of checking off boxes and let's get to Jesus. And to think about, not the things that divide us, but what is the one thing that does not change that unifies us. And that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so in him, everyone that's worshiping and proclaims the name of Jesus today, we are one body drawn from different places, our education, our wealth, our whatever does not matter. What matters is, do we know and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ? If so, we're on the same team. So together as one body, Christ reconciled. This is that lawyer language. He reconciled. He brought us together, two that should not, brought two together by God, by the means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward one another was Put to death. Can you imagine going to church, coming to church today? And as you entered in, I looked at what you were wearing and said, hey, you're in the balcony. You get a front row. Let's let's check your checkbook. You get a little bit left over here. You wouldn't come to church very often. And here Paul is saying all those things that we use to give worth and value to our religiousness, all of those things are gone in the work and person of Christ. There are no walls anymore. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who are near, reminding them again, your proximity If you weren't united with Christ, your proximity didn't matter how close. If you're not united with him, you're not in him. Now all of us, so we're all one body, now all of us can come to the same Father through the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So we're all one body, but we also have one dad. And so as followers of Jesus, we're talking to dad and we can all cry out, Abba, Father. And he's listening and he hears us and he wants us to know him and to be in fellowship with him. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers, right? We're part of the family. So it's reminding them of of where they've come from. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. You're now citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family, moving them in. So you now are not even foreigners, but now you have a passport and it says, hey, follower of God. And then you open it up. And next to your picture, it says child of God. He's moving you closer and closer and closer. And now you're part of the family. Your proximity is united with Christ. So together we are his house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Now listen, I'll be honest. You you don't want me building or working on anything at your house. Like I'm not mechanical or work with your hands like that's just not I've tried and it it just doesn't work like I tried to build a square thing one time and it ended up a trapezoid I don't know how it happened it just does and so but one time I went to 
Thailand and I was a part of a work team where we built a building. And we built this building because it was going to become a house, a place of, of training for pastors and evangelists that were in Burma and Myanmar. And so they're one of the main ways that they could actually share the gospel in Burma and Myanmar. There is no medical care there. And so one of the ways that they could share the gospel is if they learned basic medical care and took it back. And so as they shared the good news, they could actually fix broken bones and, and do different things that they needed to do where there is no medical care. And even know like, hey, how do I give an aspirin? How do I give a Tylenol? When do I do these different things? Like that's how basic it is. And so we were building a building so doctors from America and Canada could come. And for three-year period, over three years, six weeks at a time, they would train these guys. So about then 24 weeks, 18 to 24 weeks, they would have basic medical care. One, they would, be able to, they would know the gospel and be trained in that, but also do this medical stuff. And so I'm telling you all that. Because this building was important, right? And so, and they have Chris over there who has no building skills whatsoever as a part of it. And one of the first things that we did, because there were guys there who knew what they were doing, one of the first things that they did is they established a cornerstone. They established a place that everything else that we were going to be doing was focused off of and built off of this. And so they established the cornerstone. And then from the cornerstone, they were able to, to level out and to measure and to say, okay, for the next 30, 60 feet, this needs to be level and the cornerstone is going to be what dictates what's level. And then they had this little plumb line thing, which is really kind of cool that if you set it there and then it literally gives you a straight line. And so all this stuff is happening. And every single time we would do a couple of bricks and they would go, Chris, is everything in line with the cornerstone? So as we built this building brick by brick by brick, Everything was built upon and established by and dictated by the cornerstone. And here's what Paul is telling us is our cornerstone of our faith, our cornerstone of our life, the cornerstone of our church, the cornerstone of the body for all generations from the past to the present to the future is built upon and established by the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And it will never move. It will never fail. The plumb line doesn't change. Even in a culture like this where we're asking all kinds of questions about is this allowable or is this allowable or what does God think about this? A lot of those things we don't even have to pray about because the cornerstone has been established. But the beautiful thing is, is that you can see as the building is being built and you see each brick is being laid carefully and they're, they're putting in all the different stuff that you put in to, to, to attach them and to seal them in, all this different stuff. And now I went back 10 years later and guess what? That building is still standing. Why? Because there was a cornerstone. And guess what? Now there's more buildings. Because why? Because the gospel has gone into Burma. And those evangelists who've learned how to share the gospel and, and all that, but have also been able to fix broken limbs and, and do the different things, the gospel is spreading in a place like that because of that cornerstone that was laid. Now there's more buildings for more training. And so a few years ago, I was able to go back and, and with my daughter, I'm teaching some of these pastors and sharing, literally walking them through the gospel of Mark so that for the next 52 weeks, they have the gospel of Mark to go back and to share and to teach their people because of a cornerstone. And that we're unified in that. Listen, there's nothing about a pastor in Burma that's like me. Except Jesus. Except Jesus.
Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ himself. We are carefully joined together. See, even you being a part of Crosspoint and figuring out if this is your place, this is a part of God's plan and placing you exactly where he needs you for this season to do the things that he wants to do, so that as one that has found unity in Christ, as diverse people with diverse gifts and uniqueness, people can say, that has got to be God. That a people like that could come together for this and centrifuge out on Monday and have an impact upon the world for Jesus Christ. So through him, you Gentiles, I think that's most of us, are also being made part of the dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. So here's the beautiful thing about being a follower of Jesus. In that moment when you said yes to Him, you became a temple. The Spirit of God has taken residence with inside of you. So when you leave this place, worship doesn't end. Worship continues. So when you go home tonight, when you go to school tomorrow, work tomorrow... 24-7 worship. Why? Because the temple of God goes with you. The Spirit of God takes residence with inside of you. But also, when you gather at a place like this, there's power and presence. There's power in His people gathering together. And there's this affirmation of being encouraged by the fact that there are others like me. And that we stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before that said yes to the cornerstone hundreds, if not thousands of years. That this is not just this one small building, but God is building a temple for all the ages. And you are one brick. That's a part of that. And all that started before time began. God thought of you. And he said, you are a masterpiece. You are a unique masterpiece, but you also are part of one brick of the big masterpiece. The tapestry of what God's doing in your heart and life is not by accident. It's not by happenstance. It's on purpose. My prayer for you, for us, is that instead of finding the things that divide us, let's find the thing, the person. That unites us. And as Paul says, but now you're near Christ. You're united with Christ because of what he's done in and for you. Hey, listen, there's a lot of man-made walls. But Christ has torn them down. Find opportunities to find worth and value in others. They know Jesus. You're in, right? Brothers and sisters. If they don't know Jesus, they have worth and value because they just need a passport with a name that says child of God. And you know where the passport office is and how to help them find it. Let's pray together. Father, we are divided. We all have opinions about different things and it's easy for us to spout our opinions and our ideas. Father, I pray that as followers of Jesus that we would, maybe you would muzzle us. 
and we would keep more of our opinions to ourselves and find reasons to be unified in Christ. Father, may we listen more to our neighbors. May we listen more to those around us and hear their story and get to know them and to know their hurts and their pains, their dreams, their hopes. And Father, get to know whether they know you or they know about you. Father, I pray that we would, as a people, we would hear, we would remove walls. That this would be a church that's diverse in opinion and in thought and in education and in hopes and dreams, but that we're unified in the person and work of Christ. And that the thing that you're building here is not built on a person or a personality or a great children's program or student program, but it's built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. For all those things will fade away, but you will not. So I pray, Father, that we would place our brick here in the greater kingdom of God, that this would be our place to stand here and to move the world for Christ. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.